Welcome to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. My name is Justin Wheeler. I am the preaching pastor for Cornerstone. And today we are in week 21 of our journey through the Heidelberg Catechism here in 2019. Today I'm going to be talking to you about questions 44, 45, and 46. And and these questions aren't necessarily tied together in uh, the way that some of the questions in the previous weeks have been tied together, like four questions dealing with Jesus Christ or two questions dealing with the Father. But this, these questions are just kind of um, separated out into three different categories. We're going to talk first about the church, then we're going to talk about the gifts that Jesus has given to the church, and then we're going to talk about the atonement or the forgiveness that we have through Christ. So the church, the gifts, and the atonement. So let's get into question 54. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? Now, remember that we are uh, we're working through our understanding of the phrases in the Apostles' Creed, and this statement, uh, the Holy, we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, it's right there in the Creed. And here's the answer. I believe that the Son of God, through His Spirit and Word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, and preserves for himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. And of this community, I am and always will be a living member. Okay, so first of all, don't be confused by the word Catholic here. We mentioned this when we read the the Apostles' Creed in our worship service weeks ago. Uh, This term Catholic is not a reference to the Roman Catholic Church and the Pope and the priests and all of those different sacramental things, but it's a reference to the Holy Catholic Church. Catholic, that term, simply means universal. So this is a reference to the universal church. Um, the community of God's people that is not defined by culture or ethnicity, but by a common faith in Jesus. Um, think Ephesians 4, 4 here. There is one body, there is one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now that is a an explanation of the church, and not just the church in one localized body, um, like right here in Wiley, but the church throughout all of time, all of the world. We are one church, one holy, universal church. And church, well, this was Jesus' idea. Now, the word church means ecclesia. Well, it, it is ecclesia. It means gathering. It means assembly. It means a community of people with a common faith. In Matthew 16, Jesus told Peter and the rest of the apostles that he would build his church, his ecclesia, his community, and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. The church consists of those people who have been born again by the Holy Spirit to believe the word of the gospel. They have been gathered together out of all the peoples of the world to be the family of God on earth. And the Bible tells us that God planned this church, this community of believers, before the foundation of the world, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, and that he sent his son to ransom them from their sin. He adopted them, he protects them, and he will preserve them in their faith, true faith, until the very end of the world. And at that point, this community will enter into the eternal life that God has promised them. Now, all of that is just a summary of what the New Testament teaches us about 
about this church, about what God has done to make us his church, his community, and what God is doing to preserve us as his church, his community, and what God has promised us in the future as his people. And and here's something else that the catechism brings out. Once you're in, you're truly in, there's no way that you can lose your status of being in. Our entry into the church is a work of God, and he will continue his work in us until Jesus returns. Here's what we read in Romans 8, verse 38 and following. For I am sure, I am confident, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us those who believe, those who are members of the church, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that's what we believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church. Now, question 55, what do you understand by the communion of saints? And then the answer is a two-part answer. First, that believers, one and all, as members of this community, share in Christ and in all his treasures and gifts— Second, that each member should consider it a duty to use these gifts readily and cheerfully for the service and enrichment of the other members. Now, the first part of this answer points out that if you are a member of the church, a member of this community, then you have a share in Christ as well as his treasures and gifts. So to share in Christ, well, we'll just use some some language from the New Testament. The language that the New Testament is going to use is that we are in Christ. We belong to him. We are hidden in his person and his work. And that's an odd that's odd language to use. Um, it's not that we're just a, a big fan of Jesus. We might be a fan of a particular musical artist or a fan of a particular author, or you may even be a fan of your pastor or one of the elders who preach and teach. Uh, but you don't say that you are in that person. But the Bible uses that language about our relationship to Jesus, that we are in him. We have been in him since the foundation of the world because in God's plan, he has united us to Christ such that we have a share with of him. Um, we are participants with him in all of these blessings. We belong to him. He's our redeemer. He's our Lord. He's our king. But he's also our brother and friend. And here's something else that we learn. All that has been given to Christ by the Father, Jesus actually shares with us. Galatians 4 tells us this. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, the logic of this passage is incredible to consider, right? That we are an heir of God, that we are received as adopted sons, uh, that we've been redeemed from the law, redeemed from our sin. All these things are incredible to consider, but the logic is pretty easy to follow. Because of Jesus, we have been adopted into the family of God. God is our Father too, and we have become fellow heirs alongside Jesus. All of Christ's good gifts are ours, not because we've earned them, but because God's grace has made it so. Okay, 
The second part of the answer to question 55 causes us to consider how should we respond to this truth. Since we have a share in all of Christ's blessings, his person and his work and his gifts, we should take it as a responsibility to use those gifts and privileges for the benefit and joy of others, not just for our own happiness and comfort. I say this all the time in the church. Every gift that God has given us in Christ is meant to be enjoyed by us and then shared with others. The gifts of God are not intended to terminate on us. They're meant to be shared with those around us. So whether God has blessed us with wealth, uh, financial prosperity, we are to share that money. We are to use that in such a way that others receive a blessing through it. Maybe we've been given the ability to communicate clearly. We need to use that gift, not for just personal gain, but for the benefit of others. Actually, Paul talks about this in Romans 12 when he tells us how we are to use all of these gifts that Christ has given us. He says, "Having this is Romans 12, verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. The whole point of that passage is if Christ has given you a gift, use it, not just for yourself, but for the benefit of others. Okay, that's question 55. Let's look at question 56 now. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? And here's the answer. I believe that God, because of Christ's atonement, will never hold against me any of my sins nor my sinful nature, which I need to struggle against all my life. Rather, in His grace, God grants me the righteousness of Christ to free me forever from judgment. Now, question 56 is a great question, and it is at the very heart of our understanding of the gospel as well as our understanding of the Christian life. It starts out by asking, what do we understand? What do we believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? Well, let's, let's ask that question of Scripture. What does forgiveness mean? When we read about forgiveness in the Bible, what is it talking about? Forgiveness means pardon. It, it means to be released from an obligation. It means, honestly, it's usually most often used in a financial um, concept where it means that we have a debt that is being held against us. But forgiveness means that debt has been canceled. Right? That we no longer owe the debt. The debt has been paid. Okay, so how, how have, what was the debt that we had, first of all, that needed to be forgiven? And how was it canceled? How was our debt forgiven? Well, we go back to the, the logic of the gospel. The debt that we owed, we owed to God because we belong to Him and we've robbed Him of something. We have failed to obey our Creator. We have failed to properly glorify our God. We have rebelled against Him, against His person, and against His law. We have sinned against God, and the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. That is our debt. Death brought on by our sin. And this debt was canceled, forgiven, because someone else took our place. Jesus Christ took our place on the cross he died the death that we deserved, and he paid the debt for his people in full, to the point that while Jesus was on the cross, he could say, it is 
finished. He took our sin upon himself, and he gave to us his righteousness, which he earned by never rebelling against the Father. See, Christ atoned for our sin. That's the the language that's being used in this particular answer. He atoned for our sin. He paid sin's price, and therefore our sin will never be held against us. Even though we were the ones who sinned, Christ paid the debt. He removed it, and that debt is now forgiven, and it will always be forgiven. Even though we still have hearts that are corrupted by sin, and we still struggle with sinful temptation and tendencies all of our lives, the debt has been paid, and none of our sin will be held against us. And just so we don't get the wrong impression, this glorious truth of the atonement is a work of grace, the answer tells us. This is a grace from God that he grants to us the righteousness of Christ and makes us free. We we didn't earn this. We didn't deserve this. We still don't deserve this. But God, in his grace, has pardoned our sin. He received Christ's sacrifice on our behalf and has set us free from judgment forever. And our response is gratitude. It's gratitude. Gratitude, it's easy to fake, but it's hard to feel. Not until we see this gift as truly valuable will our gratitude be heartfelt. But when we understand the true worth of the work of Christ and the gift of Christ, the gratitude we will feel will be expressed in a glorious way. There is no more precious gift in all of the universe than that of Christ's precious blood that forgives us of sin. And the ultimate expression of our thankfulness to Him is praise and worship. Thank you so much for joining me today to discuss the Heidelberg Catechism. I hope you will join me again next week as we look at Lord's Day 22 together. And we're going to be discussing questions 57 through 61. Now, if you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBC Wiley. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstonewiley. And if you enjoy this, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Thank you so much for listening.